Wait. You don't sound autistic. Well, uh, what does an autistic person Wait. sound like? You're autistic? Yeah, I'm telling you that. You don't even look autistic. But, but we're talking about... Yeah, but, but I don't buy it. But I, I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and anxiety and depression. You don't sound autistic. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake. And I'm Michelle. And I'm autistic. And I'm not. We'd like to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform so you can be notified of the newest episodes when they're released. Also, be sure to join the group, Facebook group that's uh, face. God damn it. <laughs> it's okay. Be sure to join the Facebook group that's You Don't Sound Autistic YDSA on Facebook. So join the group, join the conversation. We'd like to welcome listeners from all over the country and all over the world and all the new people to the Facebook group. Welcome. And Michelle, you're supposed to say welcome. Welcome. And don't forget, damn it, I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> and remember to check go. out uh, our website, you don't sound autistic.com, for episode show notes and links to reference materials inside the episode posts. Check out the Brain Hugs or the shop to find the products we use to manage our daily lives. And for our new listeners, You Don't Sound Autistic is a mental and emotional health awareness podcast. Each week, we do our best to represent both neuroperspectives and talk about the continual discovery process of life on the spectrum. Our goal is to illuminate, uncover, and transparently discuss life with multi-diagnosis through a multi-generational neurodivergent lens. We follow an open, unscripted, conversational format that represents the real life back and forth of communication and collaboration. Even if you aren't raising the next generation, you'll find the comparison of the age groups helpful in seeing the more hidden patterns in the DNA of your lifestyle and lineage. All right. Nice. We did it. We did it. We got the intro done. <laughs> now we just have to talk for an hour. No, it's a it's a it's a pleasure. Um, what were you looking at that I was supposed to have up here? This thing? That one. Okay. All right. What are we talking about today? Well, first of all, being grateful that we are figuring out how to carve out some time to do this. Well, kind of. We're We've kind of carved out time. We're testing a new theory. Yeah, well, it's not my theory. Oh. It's your theory. Okay, well, then we're testing I'm out. just along for the ride. Thank you. Thank Buckle you. up. And I brought lube. Okay. Well, we had a couple of different options we could talk about. We could talk about... I know we were interested in diving into relationships at work. We've talked about that. Um, but I was... Talk, we've talked about talking about that. Sorry, I'm yawning. It's annoying. But um, I was doing some research today and I came across um, a topic called Compare and Despair. Have you heard of this? Only since you mentioned it. Oh. <laughs> I've been seeing bits and pieces of this and different takes from different content creators and different um, neurodivergent resources, but this was the first one that really gave like a tangible name to the process, this compare and despair, and this is something that rung true for me because I've seen you do it several times. This is a concept that applies to teenagers and adults. It applies to those with ADHD, anxiety, depression, and autism at the very least, but more than likely most neurodivergent um, challenges. Neurodivergent. Oh, 
I thought you were going to say people. Absolutely people. But I mean, yes. So a wide range because, and it doesn't even have to be specific to those that are neurodivergent, but I, I do think it's important to bring it up because I think there's a greater risk for this compare and despair trend um, and something to watch out for, whether, you know, you need to listen in for yourself or whether you're listening in for a loved one, a, a, like I said, a teenager or spouse or friend. Um, but it's a, it's a big concern. So basically what happens is because of social media and this rise of all this visual content that we have, TikTok and YouTube and everything, we have a society that looks very well put together, very edited, very flawless. And it's very easy to look at somebody's content and think that they just naturally produced it. And especially with the low self-esteem and the concentration and focus challenges that come with neurodivergence, there's often um, a misconception about how much work is really going into all the background of it because all you see is the finished product. And for those that think literally and logically, the, the, the logical, now this actually is a logical step. Logic doesn't necessarily make sense. It's just logical. But the logical response would say, oh, that's just, they're naturally that good. And unfortunately, it's not a true statement. No? <laughs> no one's naturally good? No one is naturally perfect. No one is naturally that flawless. I mean, um, there's a lot of editing involved, a lot of retakes, a lot of practice. Um, there's a very strong um, line between the increase of social media and access that teenagers and adults have had and um, a sharp increase in low self-esteem and in um, even self-punishing, self-injurious type mental dialogue because there's assumptions being made about how that product was produced and that, you know, it just feeds that low self-esteem. I've watched you do this. I have great self-esteem. Yes. And remember how you felt when you were starting to learn the ukulele. Yes. I was an expert in no time. Right. And you treated yourself very lovingly as you learned. I did. I was very generous with myself. Can you tell us the real story? I, I think I've talked about it before. You have. Yeah. I mean, I just got the ukulele as a gift and I guess pretty much expected that I'd be able to figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah. So every time I would mess up, I was there was just a lot, a lot of negative self-talk. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I still don't feel great about it. A lot of times I'll screw up and there's notes I can't hit. Because my fingers, I just, I have short, even though it's a small instrument, I need like a teeny tiny ukulele. So I wonder, one of the things that caught my attention is that um, this compare and despair is rampant and it's a silent suffering. It's a silent sufferer, right? It's something that you wouldn't necessarily bring up in conversation with someone. And it's something that would be used to reinforce negative self-dialogue, um, negative self-talk. And it, it can really apply to anybody. I mean, but I believe the neurodivergent community is more at risk because it already, you already experience feeling like a lifetime of feeling different and misunderstood. 
So when you go into a learning environment and you already feel different, misunderstood, weaker at executive functioning skills, more challenged at learning activities, and you have um, perfectionist tendencies and difficult motivation, self-motivation strategies, it's really easy to see how you then, you know, put a finished product in front of someone and that you know has been created by someone who's not necessarily professional, that they're doing it at home. And it looks so good to jump to, oh my gosh, I have to make it look that perfect in order to be valid. And so then it just reinforces your low self-esteem. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if I, I wonder if people think that about the stuff that I've produced. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up because I listen to the music at the end of every episode, and I think, damn, that's good stuff. And there are times I forget that I know how much effort goes into it in the background because it just sounds so dang polished that. All I can think about is you turning it into YouTube videos or publishing it in different ways and, and really taking off with it. But when I talk to you about it, your answer is always the same. Oh, no, it's not that good. It's not that good. And, you know, I just barely put it together. You kind of diminish it. I did most of it barely put together. Oh. And it's still as good as it is. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah, but, I mean, you just diminished yourself in that same comment. I mean, do you, which of your music do you feel really good about which song? Oh, I mean, I've gone back and listened to the ends of episodes because I was going to put together a YouTube video that had like a quote unquote best of, but I'm like, I like three of the songs. So what am I going to put three songs in there? You only like three. We have almost 60 episodes. This is our 60th episode. Right. But I didn't, well, to be fair, I didn't create new music for every episode. Look at you diminishing your work once again. You have 60 new episodes. You probably have at least 50 of those are new songs. You've probably yeah. only repeated a, f a few and immediately discounted the value of your work. Yep. Is what? that not what everyone does? No. Why? Oh, I don't know. Why did you discount it? No, I'm I'm just sincerely like, please walk me through your process because it's Blake Friday. It saddens me to hear you do that, but I believe that that's a true account of what it feels like for you when I compliment you on your work. Wait, what? Say that again. I said it saddens me to hear you discount your work, even though I believe it's probably a fair assessment of what you of how you feel and what you think on the inside when I compliment you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't always do well with compliments. Is it a compliment thing or is it because you don't believe me? I don't necessarily always agree. So you have to agree in order to accept a compliment? I feel like I do. Why? But if I'm telling you, this is a good conversation. So if I'm telling you that I, that from my experience listening to your music, I was absolutely riveted. Like it was moving. It was what I needed. It grounded me. It was amazing. That was my experience listening to your music. I don't ever hear you listening to my music. You're no, of course not. It's my experience. You're not going to listen to our listeners listening to your music either. No, I'm just saying like, it's not like you're listening to my SoundCloud. Blake Furtick 
has backslash Blake Verdig. <laughs> or whatever it is but you don't know because i have hours of headphones in when i'm doing very a, ver- a variety You're listening of things. to my music i have in the i have i do pull up your music and i do listen to it and uh-huh. i have asked you to put it on youtube to make it easier for me soundcloud sure but you know i would like a running background of things that i could put on while i clean and do the dishes i've asked you for these things. i'm your cleaning music that's worse than elevator music oh no 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 do you know how we're gonna tangent be tangential here for a second do you know how challenging it is for me to stay on task when i clean have you ever watched me clean i try not to it's maddening i'll start one task and i'll get a part way through it and then i'll like that'll take me into the next room and so i'll start that task in the next room and before i know it i'm walking through the house and i'm literally in the middle of four different cleaning projects in four different rooms and i have to make progress on on different parts of different ones before I can complete the original one and I look crazy and I need something that keeps my headspace in a cleaning mode so that I can go ahead and f- wrap around and finish all the partial cleaning projects in each room and your music has that beat and that groove and yet it changes and it has that dynamic that keeps me interested and so it's really great background music that helps me focus on the numerous tasks because I mean I if I'm not careful I'll lose track of what I'm doing and I'll come back two hours later and I'm I'm in the middle of like oh shit I left all this open, so yeah it's a compliment, it's either it, in fact you sometimes you edge edge out Taylor Swift, oh me and Tay Tay as my background music so that's a high compliment. All right, look at you and you dismissed it again. I didn't realize you were listening to the the uh the best of Blake Fertig. I <laughs> have asked for more access to the best of Blake Fertig, but every time I make those requests, you're instantly comparing what you think of your work to what I think of your work. You're discounting what I'm saying and you're immediately going into despair, believing that I'm either wrong or being nice because like or disbelieving that I could possibly be telling you the truth. That sound right? Sure. Did I leave anything out? I don't know. I'm just. I, I, to me, I feel like if my music was good, then I'd somehow be successful with it. Not every hobby is defined by commercial success. And besides, you know, what I like about your music is that it reaches me, but. What I'm hoping for is that you get to a point where you're feeling your own heart and your own effort and your own music. And I feel like you do these things as like a task and you don't always put your heart into it because you're afraid of rejection. But your music is still good regardless. Imagine if I really tried. Exactly. And do you know that the... The I do try, though. No, you do try, but I mean, you also kind of always think it's going to suck. So imagine if you... Well, tr- I delete a lot of the music that I make. And so just keep that in mind when you hear what you do here. You're like, what did he delete? Well, and that's the thing. You do delete a lot of the things that I hope make the final cut, but you've decided against it. And I don't know whether you're just being moody or it doesn't matter. You're the content creator, right? You get to make those edits. Well, there's such a thing as self-editing. Again, that's... I agree. But so that's true for every content creator out there. And you don't see anyone else's edits either. 
And so when you see a TikTok or YouTube or finished product on a website or whatever the hell it is, you didn't see any of their edits. You didn't see their self-edits. So why would you assume that you are the only one self-editing and that they're not also going through the same process? Because I think that a lot of times you think other people's stuff is just better. That's part of this that I'm bringing light to because we've been taught in, at least in the United States, as part of our early childhood education, that if you struggle with the learning process or with the creation process, it's a, um, it's a sign of lower intelligence. It is a sign of lower intelligence? That's what we've been taught. Oh, okay. I do not believe it actually is, but it's something that we have been taught. So um, I recently came across this, and let me pull it up real quickly because um, I want to I read more specifically from it. But I have been... Talking to the microphone. Don't scold me. I'm not scolding you. I'm berating you. Okay. Um, gently. Not very gently. A little gentle nudge. Not very gently, actually. You're giving me gas. Uh-huh. So my mom used to say. Did oh, she really say that to you? She still says that. That's rude. Is it? Very. Okay. Better than when she said I could have been a swallow. I hate those stories. Me too. Yeah, no wonder you have low self-esteem. Yeah, I've, I don't know if I've ever told you that story. Well, I've told you that story, but I don't know if I've ever told the audience that story. No, but while have I'm I? pulling this up, it's actually a good time for you to do it. Because my, I remember talking to my dad one time, and he was giving, I was, I don't know, I guess I was giving him a hard time about something, and he's like, you know, I could have gone on a walk that night, I banged your mom, and uh, so I told my mom, I was like, my dad said he could have gone on a walk, and she's like, please, you could have been a swallow. I hate that story. And then she went to my friend, and was like, did you know that Blake could have been a bird? Oh yeah, I know. She told this story frequently. I remember when we were dating, and, I, and he and was like a bird. About it. Like it was one of She's her like, favorite yeah, jokes. She's like, yeah, a swallow. Yeah, it's horrible, horrible. That kind of shit. Like I, we need to be careful as parents that we own. Not to remind your kids that they were once just jizz. Yeah, actually, <laughs> but more importantly, that you're not important because that's what she's saying. She's like, yeah, you you might not have existed, and it's a joke that. It, you know, you're lucky you're even here is no, no kid wants to hear that. Remember the first seven years are all about feeling loved, wanted and safe. I mean, when you're told you could have been a swallow, it's basically saying you, you weren't wanted, you're not safe and you're not loved. You're throwaway. That's what that should, that would, that's what that tells a child. So it's incredibly important that parents that you monitor what you're saying to your children we do it all the time with Declan and it's like oh man I I know I struggle with it when he gets really clingy and I'm like just losing it and I need him to get off me and I I find myself when I try I'm just trying to say oh my gosh please get off me and yet I'm like god if I heard myself say that to me like that would crush me so I'm trying to find a different way to say that while preserving my sanity because Everything that we we say to each other, I don't care if your parent child or your spouses or your siblings, it becomes the inner dialogue that circles and loops through our thoughts. And we know our thoughts become our feelings and that becomes emotional and that becomes neuro, you know, in our highways. And 
it's the whole loop starts with the shit we hear and the shit we tell each other. And so we need to be aware of that. As actually, have you heard of this study? It was done in 1979. Yeah. There was a, um, his name was Jim, I guess, Stigler. Um, he yeah, was, I know Jim. Yeah. He, <laughs> he was still a graduate student at the university of Michigan. He went to Japan to research teaching methods and found himself sitting in the back row of a crowded fourth grade math class. The teacher was trying to teach the class how to draw three-dimensional cubes on paper, Stigler explains, and one kid was just totally having trouble with it. His cube looked all cockeyed, so the teacher said to him, why don't you go put yours on the board? So right there I thought, that's interesting. He took the one who can't do it and told him to go and put it on the board. Stigler knew that in American classrooms, it was usually the best kid in the class who was invited to the board. And so he watched with interest as the Japanese student dutifully came to the board and started drawing, but still couldn't complete the cube. Every few minutes, the teacher would ask the rest of the class whether the kid had gotten it right, and the class would look up from their work and shake their heads no. And as the period progressed, Stigler noticed that he, Stigler, was getting more and more anxious. So just right there... (laughs) <laughs> you can see I'm going to keep so wait these Japanese teachers punish their students by making them come to the board and isn't that interesting that that's how you see it though it seems like a punishment <laughs> and you're and that is kind of my point because we've been taught that if you're being sent to the board it means you have an intellectual deficit like you're not getting it you just said that in America that we would Send the best student to the board. You just contradicted yourself. Did I say that yourself. backwards? Maybe. Sorry, I'm trying to flip through these things. No, right. Only, so, now you got me all confused. Yes, we're seeing, if, if American students are taught, let me get my thoughts. American students, myself, I remember being taught that if you're having trouble learning, then you're just not as good. Like So then why would that be the person that we would send to the board? No, we, in American society, we send the best person to the board. I know, that's what I said, but then you said send the... I'm confused now. I'm sorry. This is great content, by the way. <laughs> well, no, just don't smack the microphone. Then go back and we'll re-record it. No, no, no. Let's keep going. No, because I was flipping through websites trying to find the rest of the story and I got confused with my I'm not stopping it. I don't want to edit it. This argument's going to be in... Welcome to episode 60, everybody. <laughs> I love that you call it an argument. It's not, I'm not an argument. I'm, I'm leaving this in. Whatever. Dictatorship. That's right. I'm going to carve a penis out of a potato. <laughs> That's what I call it. I think from very early ages, we in America see struggle as an indicator that you're just not very smart. This is what I'm trying to say. It's a sign of low ability. People who are smart don't struggle. They just naturally get it. That's all. That's our folk theory. Whereas in Asian cultures, they tend to see struggle more as an opportunity. There. Said it more clearly. So the kid was rewarded for going up and trying his fucked up box. Well, as the story continues. You said said Jim was uh, anxious. 
he himself was getting anxious because he was just sure, I mean, applying his American upbringing, he was positive that the kid who was failing was being punished also and that he was going to break down into tears any minute. So he himself was getting anxious watching it, expecting this outcome to follow his upbringing. Um, But in fact, what he learned is that they've taught kids to suffer, uh, that suffering can be a good thing. I mean, it sounds bad, but I think that's what they've taught them, that granted, there's a lot of differences in culture, but the difference is still that for the most part, in American culture, intellectual struggle in school children is seen as an indicator of weakness, while in Eastern cultures, it is not only tolerated, but is often used to measure emotional strength. Okay. Well, not everyone that listens to the show is from the United States. Well, I it's more of, I agree, but I'm just explaining because as we started the conversation with neurodivergence that has a higher rate of low self-esteem, a higher rate of anxiety, a higher rate of depression, a higher rate of this perfectionist belief, we have a higher rate of believing that struggle is one of the reasons why you're different and you struggle to be accepted, right? Because you have to add that in. You have a lifetime of not feeling like you fit in. So when you struggle with learning, you're going to automatically, in some capacity, believe that it's because of your neurodivergence and not because struggle is part of the learning process. Yeah, but not everyone knows that they're neurodivergent. Agree. Everyone that is neurodivergent, like I didn't know until I was in my 30s. Well, that's why I'm bringing awareness to this, and obviously I haven't done a great job tripping over my words, but at the same time... Yeah, learned Spreckensy English. (laughs) I'm struggling, and I know enough to embrace my struggle because it's part of the process. It's part of the learning and growing process. And... My, to tie it back to the beginning, like you're not going to edit this out. Fine. I respect that. But every other content creator that's in control of their editing gets to edit out their mistakes so you don't see it. So I say it to remind everyone that there's usually editing on, and there is no natural talent in the world of learning. I mean, we learn and we grow, but it takes grit. It takes dedication. It takes this commitment to feeling uncomfortable to per to push through and take information that is you have no framework for and build a framework you give yourself the time and space to become familiar with it enough to build the you know pathways in your brain to really own it and then perform it so there's the belief you go from like you don't know something to an instant performer and that everyone's supposed to be doing that. And, and if you can't, then you're less than. Sounds right to me. So compare and despair. Okay. Compare what? Anything, anything and everything that you see, all you see is the product up until that point. Nobody sees the struggle behind it. So you assume the struggle isn't there. You assume the struggle isn't there. Compare and despair. You're rapping. <laughs> yes. Well, I just found this to be fascinating because as you have shown both with your ukulele story and then illuminating how you're creating the music for the podcast even that 
you know, even, even you don't recognize your own struggle as a good thing. And you just use it to reinforce a low self-esteem. I don't think I'd be good with a high self-esteem. I'd be arrogant. Well, the the balanced approach... Who wouldn't be? ...is confident. Huh? The balanced approach to a high self-esteem is confident. Confidence? Yeah, and not just and not confident in content. It's confident in your ability to learn. It's confidence that you can take on something that is unfamiliar and work with it and work with it and work with it until you can master it. That's where the confidence comes from. It doesn't have to go into arrogance. You've skipped right over confidence as if you just believe you'll never get there. Do you, Is there anything you're confident in? Like 100%? Or 80%? No one's 100% confident in anything. That's not true. I'm sure there's plenty of people that are 100% confident. That's an assumption, and I would argue with you because the world... Argue? I would argue with you because the world doesn't stay the same. It changes every single day, and it's rapidly changing, so nobody is... I mean, everything we master yesterday is changing today, so how can you be 100% confident with anything except your own grit, your own emotional strength, your own commitment to learning? I'll tell you what. I'm 100% confident in one thing. What? I don't know because I've never given one to anyone else, mm-hmm. but I give a great hand job. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I have no complaints <laughs> from the one dude. Okay. After 59 <laughs> episodes. Oh, you- I thought you were going to say, I was like, it's way more than 59. <laughs> After 59 episodes, are you confident in your ability to make music for the podcast? No. I mean, I... I mean, I'm confident that I have made music for the podcast. Okay. And I'm happy with some of the music. Okay. But you're not confident in your ability to make it. No, because every time I, I start from ground zero and I'm like, okay, there's a blank page. Got to start from scratch. Start something new. The creative process starts from scratch, but your your experience, your education, the mastery of the program you're using, the the format of the songs you're creating, these are all things that you have slowly, pieces you have built and put together. They've now become part of that profound knowledge. They're part of that 95% of your brain, which we've talked about before. Remember, 80 to 95% of your brain runs on autopilot. So you now do many of these functions of creating music so well, you've mastered them to the point your brain doesn't even give you credit for them anymore. Who should I be giving credit to? You. I do take credit. Um, when they're good. No. It, uh, good according to you? I blame white people for my problems. <laughs> you are white. I know. Um, <laughs> I blame your upbringing for raising you with no self-esteem and telling you shit like you could have been a bird, meaning that you're irrelevant as a, as, as a human being. You don't think that has some impact on whether or not you can feel confident in your own process that you've created and mastered over the last year plus, year and a half of making songs? I, I'm, I've am i been making music for longer than that. Thank you. And you still have how much confidence in your ability? I don't know. I must have some confidence because I do it. Okay. Must have some confidence because I do it. That's a fair statement. Do you feel good about it? I feel pretty okay about it. Okay. I'm modeling. Why are you belaboring the point? 
because I'm modeling questions that I believe warrant asking so that you give yourself time to consider the efforts behind your growth and actually dedicate even just 30 seconds of gratitude for what you have managed to to develop in your music making skills. Is this why you won't make YouTube videos for me? Because you don't feel like you have the confidence? I think that's laziness. Okay. Well, I appreciate the distinction. These are important conversations to have. And I know you keep looking at me like move on already. But, you know, one of the reasons why our relationship continues to improve and our friendship improves and our parenting improves is because at least throughout this show, we sit down and talk, talk about the hard subjects. And when we were dating, we didn't have these conversations. And there are parents and spouses all over the place that are trying to have these very same conversations and they're getting these dismissal type attitudes like the one you're displaying because it's just... I'm just giving you resting bitch face. I'm not giving you a, a dirty look or anything. How how attractive do you think resting bitch face is? I don't know what my face looks like. I just assume it doesn't look great based on your face. I mean, if you would roll your eyes you know, two or three times, I would I would think you were 20 years younger. I'm not much of an eye roller. No, you're more of a, of a starer. You're more like, like a glare. You just, you're talking. <laughs> you're just, I'm you, looking at you. Yeah, with that look, like you're secretly hating me. But the point is, I'm calling attention to something because I want you to also call attention to it for yourself. That the amount of times that you compare yourself to other people and then immediately discount yourself and go into despair is part of that negative self-talk we were talking about last episode that we've talked about several times over the course of the podcast. And I continue to lovingly or mistakenly, I'm not sure which, try to figure out where the hell it's coming from so that we can help you feel better because you're not going to be able to feel better unless you can learn to monitor your thoughts and monitor how your thoughts make you feel and change them for the better. And I think that since low self-esteem is such a big part of the silent suffering process that you and every single one of my friends, neurodivergent community members, everyone I talk to, all the the counseling sessions I'm doing with families and, and meeting their children and, and working with them and and seeing all the amazing things that they're doing, which is great. And then seeing those that have self-esteem and those that don't, it comes down to the ability to have these types of conversations and be self-aware enough to know where you're discounting yourself out of habit and not because you're right. Do you know the definition of despair? If my music's so good, take your top off right now. Again, banking everything on the outcome. Damn it. If I really if, thought that was going to work. It's an if-then statement. If it's good, you'll do something. Fine, I'll take my top off. <laughs> Someone should be topless. Okay. Um, I don't want any pictures, by the way. I don't need any more pictures. <laughs> you started getting some? No, just that one from Kate. Yes, well, that was hilarious. Um, what's the definition of despair, since I know you like to tell me? What's, what do you mean, what's the definition of despair? I don't know. Can you look it up for me? I mean, I'm just, I would like to reference the definition of despair. Because okay. I think we all know what the definition of comparing is. Noun, the complete loss or absence of hope. 
You know, that's interesting because when you go back to the definitions, the clinical definitions of what what counts as a depression diagnosis and involved in all the screening questions, if you remember, is a two week or two plus week period of time where you feel hopeless. Yes. Do you see the distinction between a compare and despair practice and internal practice and how it can lead to depression? Of course. So this might be an important place to continue examining. Okay. How, how many how many episodes? How many more songs? What's your benchmark before you believe that your music's going to be good? That you're going to feel successful at making music? I don't know. When I get paid for it. Again, you're labeling the outcome. That's right. But how, but in the meantime. Well, I mean, imagine if you did a homework assignment and they didn't grade it for you. But that's not. I want an A. So give yourself an A. Who has to give you the A? I'd rather give myself a fit B. Yeah, I bet you would. But you're not in school anymore. You're not in a place where you can be, you know, graded on academics. You're in a place of content creation. You're creating original music. You're creating music that. That has only been, you know, is, is only a product of your imagination. Who is qualified to really grade that? Other than... Others. Okay. <laughs> so it can be critiqued, right? People can like it or dislike it, but that's on You know, them. like Quentin Tarantino, when he makes his movies, he talks about how he makes them for himself. Thank you. And then if, you know, that he, you know, he's like, and that people like him, that's a bonus. And I'm like, yeah, it's easy to say when you're a freaking millionaire, but... I understand the point. And if you adopted a Quentin track, that mindset, if you adopted his mindset and made it because it made you happy, you'd actually be more successful. More people would like it. I do do it because I I like it. Three is the number of songs you said you like. Yeah, but that doesn't, but I still do it because I want to get to those three songs. Why isn't it 30? Because I don't like all of 30. What don't you like about them? They're trash. What makes them trash? That I don't like them. What do you need to hear in order to like them? I don't know. Like it has to be something that I enjoy. I mean, I don't know. How do you quantify liking a movie or music or whatever? Like art is, it's hard to quantify like what, you know, if you see a painting of Jackson Pollock's or something and it's like, oh, I like the squiggly lines. Well, it's like I was telling you before with that Taylor Swift album. You get into like abstract expressionism. When I first put on her album Midnight, I was in the wrong frame of mind. I was kind of expecting more of the last two albums. I don't know why, but that's just what I was used to listening to. So when it had a completely different feel, I was immediately thrown off and I didn't like it at first. And I had to go back after a period of time where I put myself in a place of neutrality and go, okay, let me just... Let me just listen without any expectations and see if I can connect to the world she's trying to create. Let's see if I can understand what she's saying. I always have to read the lyrics. It doesn't matter who it is. Um, I can never really understand what I'm hearing until I read it. And when I did those things and, and allowed myself to experience the music from a place of neutrality, I was like, oh, you know what? I actually really like this, but I hated it for the first two or three times I tried to listen to it because I, I was, my expectations were all wrong and I wasn't open. Now I love the whole album. 
So what are your expectations when you listen to your music? Like, what are you hoping to feel when you hear it? I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping to hear a song that I like. Are you making music based on other music that you like? Like, are you being no. inspired by it? No. So you're just randomly... Well, I mean, that's not true. One of the songs I... There is a song that's on one of the episodes that has like a classical music riff in it. Okay. That I just kind of was like, oh, this kind of fits. And so I, I did that. It was like Mozart or something like that. That's cool. But um, no, otherwise I'm not trying to sound like anyone else. I'm just trying to sound like myself. So is it more of a challenge that you don't feel connected to yourself yet? Like you haven't found no, your own I'm voice just, yet? No. It, it, bah, you're getting, I'm getting mad. Right, because I'm asking questions you don't ask yourself and you don't have answers for them. I just listen to the music and if I like it, I like it. And if I don't, I don't. Sometimes I listen to something and I'm like, this is crap and I delete it. And then there's other times when I listen to something. I'm like, this one's good enough. I guess this is what I'm going with. Good enough? You're breaking my heart here. What are you comparing good enough to? To the other three songs that I like. (laughs) Such a high bar. It really hurts me to hear this. And, and I appreciate your honesty because I know you're telling me the absolute truth. And, you know, it just goes to show you, you can't take anything for granted. So just because I see that you're constantly working on making music, I made the incorrect assumption that you were enjoying the process. Sometimes I do enjoy the process, but I enjoy it more when I make something I like. That's a fair statement, Blake. I mean, I'm just shocked to hear that you dislike so much of your work. Yeah, okay. That's all. I'm just saying I'm I'm sad to hear you're not getting more personal fulfillment out of it. Because I know that if you found your heart in the things you were creating, I don't care whether it's music, I don't care whether it's you're making snow, you know, with science experiments with the with the I almost called him the baby. He is a baby to <clears throat> us. Cool. The baby. Um I guess for me, what I'm really searching for and what I'm hoping to turn the corner on in this conversation is that the compare and despair starts to get some perspective in terms of one, becoming aware of it, becoming of what becoming aware of what your triggers are. Like if you're comparing yourself to anything, including your past music, what what brings on that feeling of Ugh, this is not good enough. This is good enough, you know. That despair feeling, that hopeless feeling. The timing of it. What do you mean by that? Well, because there's sometimes when I feel like I want to get an episode released and I'm like, well, shit, I don't have any music, so I need to make something and I'll make something and I'm like, eh, this is all right. Okay, so you just don't feel like that particular piece was protected. By protected... Well, I mean, because there's times when I have more time, which is kind of funny because the last episode we did, 59, that music I made that day. I thought it was really good. And But I have like eight tracks I could have chosen from that I probably liked better, but I kind of was like, you know what? I was like, I don't know. I kind of liked that I made this one on the day that I made it, um, the same day that we, you know, recorded. Well, I've always appreciated that you make music that matches the tone of the conversation and the, the topic. That might just be a coincidence. Okay. You should see the names of my songs. (laughs) Well, for me, they fit. They feel like they fit for me, but um, I appreciate knowing that you don't feel that way. But I just, 
I know for every single person, there's an internal artist. Every single, I don't care if you're good at math or good at creativity. I don't care which side of the brain you're dominant in. I don't care who you are. Every single person is creating something within their lifetime, whether whether you're creating a, a better routine for yourself, whether you're actually creating content to share with others, whether you're just you know, working to create solutions inside of your family to help your family function throughout the day. Every single one of us are creating. And what I, my, my hope and my prayer for everyone to share my hope for those that are feeling hopeless is that your content is probably better than you're giving yourself credit for. And maybe you don't need to be your worst critic. I have to be my worst critic. To avoid the rejection? Probably. Okay, rejection is obviously a really big element to presenting yourself and your work to someone else because we are built, again, in that society where, one, it's not okay to struggle or it means that you have you know, lower ability, which is false, by the way. It's a complete myth. It's something we need to deprogram from our brains. But the second thing is that we need validation from someone else in order to be good. Also a myth. That's a lie. Straight up wrong. Okay. Well, then how do you explain comedy? Look, do you know that most of what makes a comic's appeal is the time and the effort they put in to themselves before they get on stage, before they go through all the effort of writing jokes, that they have to believe in themselves and it's that energy that then... I did stand up. Propels, yes. And f- because you were taking the class, you were building... you One, because you were taking the class, you put time and space as a priority for your comedy every single week you were going you were focusing on it and because you were able to deliver your draft stand-up and receive criticism right you other people's opinions you were able to develop a sense of confidence about the set you built i did not feel very confident in it but you went in with how much con- I, I think mean, you can tell looking at me, I, I just look super nervous. But you went in with more than 0% confidence. Well, yeah, because I did it. Okay, so? Because I set a goal for myself, and if I set a goal for myself, I try to I try to go through with that stuff. But creating time and space for any type of activity that you want to get better at is how you protect it. And by protecting it, it means you're pouring your heart into it and whether or not it's accepted by other people at first or not, you know, how many people do you think walk on to, you know, the, um, the NFL draft and without any hard work or effort, without any time and space to protect their skills, they just get picked because they're naturally perfect athletes. What? Right. It makes no sense because obviously they would have had to work really hard to get there. Yeah, but some people have to work harder harder than others. Do you know that Tom Brady was not drafted and he was like 300? I don't even know the number. It's like one of the lowest people drafted in... Was he even drafted? I don't remember the story, but he was nobody during his draft year. Like absolutely nobody. He was... Yeah, but he still was going to get picked to play in the NFL. That's not nobody. I don't even remember if he was. Now I have to look up. I it's so long since I heard the story because you would not say he's nobody now. You um, you didn't even like uh, Tom Brady for the longest time until he started playing on your team. I didn't even like him when he started playing on my team. Nobody likes to lose over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to the same person. Okay. 
Side effects of being a fantasy football player slash championship loser four years in a row thanks to Tom fucking Brady. Yes, I have reasons, but it's not because of his worth. Tom Brady draft. Let me see. I don't. Do you think anyone really cares about this? It just my point is that I want to get the details right, but he was not. He was not. He he was the hundred and ninety ninth pick. You said three hundred something. I knew it was a big number. That's why I looked it up. You know, I went and got the details in the two the the draft for the year two thousand. He was the hundred and ninety ninth pick. In what round? I don't even know what round that is. Let's see if it'll tell me really quickly. But my point, I don't really care. I was kidding. I don't really watch football. I know you don't. But my point is that nobody would say that about him now. And because he's put in the time and the effort to develop a confidence about his skill. Okay. So you could do the same. But how often are you going to continually discount it? You don't think people discount their skills when they're playing football? I think everyone discounts everything, but at one point in time, you've got to develop some sort of belief in yourself. Okay. I have some belief in myself, obviously, because I m- keep making music. Okay. And well, I keep recording these episodes with you. Yes. So tell me a little bit more about your belief in yourself. Like, so there. Because that's a really important quality to develop. I mean, we talk about emotional strength and mental grit. That comes from belief in yourself that you can figure it out. What do you do when you get stuck in the creative process? Like, what do you do? What if you do if you're learning something brand new? Like, how do you get through that feeling of frustration when you don't know what you're doing yet? I fake it. Okay. Bless you. Thank you. You fake it. Yeah. Do you keep, do you fight, do you feel yourself going into fight or flight? I don't know. Well, I ask because if you feel yourself going, in, do you know how to, to how to monitor yourself? Like when English, can you detect when you are sliding into fight or flight? No. Okay. I mean, maybe I can. Do you know that feeling of panic that ensues when you're learning something new and you're feeling frustrated? I don't usually get that frustrated when I'm learning something new. I guess it just depends on what it is. So do you do better learning? Like if you're talking about the ukulele, I was frustrated learning that. Because you that were was something new. Is it because you were being self-taught? Like, do you do better learning when someone else is teaching you? Not necessarily. I learn better when I learn better. <laughs> you're going to have to give me more details than that. I'm just saying, I, I, sometimes, like, I can, you know, anyone can pick up a book. No. No, anyone cannot pick up a book. That's a that's a generalization that is untrue. Why? Not everyone can pick up a book. First of all, you're talking about the ability to sight read, the ability to read music, the ability to decode ukulele music, guitar music is different than piano music. Like you're talking about learning I'm just talking about books in general, not music books. Okay, yes. I would argue that most people can pick up a book. Yeah. Does, do you think that they all have the same chance of learning from that book, like without someone instructing them? Do you think everyone has the ability to be self-taught? I mean, to I mean, not a hundred percent, because obviously you need someone to teach you in order to be able to read. 
Sure. I mean, but even in the self-taught process, how many other resources did you consult in order to teach yourself? Huh? How many different resources are you talking about? Ukulele again? Or anything, but sure, ukulele works. I don't know. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos. Okay. So, um, video instructors. Yeah. Okay. That took emotional strength to keep searching for resources to help you gain familiarity, gain confidence, to see examples, right? A lot of learning is you don't have any framework. I'm currently studying for my post-massage career. I'm in school for um, for technology and um, data research, and it's incredibly difficult because of the programming languages that I have to learn in order to do it but I'm not going to be able to be a massage therapist for the rest of my life so I need to prepare for that career eventually I have a programming language in my pants (laughs) python (laughs) okay programs out kids what what I don't want my python having anything to do with kids what are you talking about oh I was just saying it makes kids oh makes kids yeah I thought you meant like something weird. No. Oh yeah, it made one kid. Made one, yeah. I'm and just Don't saying. you forget it. <laughs> I'm just saying it's difficult. I find myself in this position. I'm not picking on you. I I'm relating to you. I just haven't turned the conversation to me yet, but I I consistently feel lost. I consistently feel angry and frustrated that new concepts are introduced to me in a haphazard and incomplete way and and I'm just you know, I'm, I compare myself to my mentors and all these other people who seem to get it. And we have um, a, a school Slack channel, Slack account that we all use. And so then I go look at other people's questions and try and research things for myself. I find myself researching a lot through Google and other YouTube videos and other programmers. And I'm learning and I have, you know, direct mentor support. But I'm still, I walk away and express to you how upset I am that I don't feel like I'm getting it. And I get it. I'm in school. Do better. Right. But, you know, it's that process again of I have actually found myself in the last week wondering whether I've picked a valid second career. I guess it's my third career. Like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? This is so hard. This is so frustrating. I'm used to knowing what I'm talking about. I'm used to feeling like I can do it. So. Can you relate to those feelings? Nope. Be honest. Yep. Tell me about it because, you know, I don't have... Well, let me ask you this question. Do you think if I gave you my phone or gave you the program that I have on my phone that I used to make music that you could make songs? I have no idea. Why? I I have no frame of reference for the program. Neither did I when I got it. I just started farting around with it. And I went through the tutorial and how to use it. Well, see, this is why I like to read owner's manuals. I get made fun of by my friends and my family. But when I open something brand new, I want to read the damn owner's manual. And I get really upset when it's not around because I want to read how it was intended to be used. Like, I usually start fiddling with things if I feel like I can. And then if I need help, I'll go to the owner's manual i'm the kind of person that 
I mean, because I like to read owner's manuals, I found myself in positions for other companies where I was writing um, a lot of them. So I have developed that sort of step-by-step process expectation in my mind when I'm learning new things. So I would be happy to give it a try if you want to test it, test me out. I don't know. I mean, I, I played piano for 20 years. I'm, it's, I'm not musically disinclined. Um, I was usually learning other people's music, but I, I'm interested to try. Well, there you go. This is a big deal for teenagers and adults, um, especially with motivation problems, because it's just so easy to get to this particular point, like we've talked about several times today, where, you know, you can get to that point of frustration and just want to quit. And teenagers have a lot of homework and it's difficult to complete. Adults have just as much. I mean, housework and paying bills and not everything can be put on auto pay, you know, in terms of like you can't auto run your dishwasher right that still has to be manually done unfortunately you know personal hygiene self-care you still have to put yourself in the shower a couple times a week you still need to change your clothes you um, well you're supposed to but i don't always i'm aware (laughs) but i mean i understand why because there's sensory sensitivities to everything involved in life and it's no judgment or criticism i'm just saying Every single thing we do can, you know, requires effort, mental, physical, emotional, all of the above. So I think going back to my hopes for everyone is that this conversation helps either you or your loved ones or helps you approach the topic with your loved ones so it can become a little bit more of a verbal conversation instead of a nonverbal suffering loop because that's that's what I'm afraid that it really is is a nonverbal reinforcement of low self-esteem that you'll never admit to and it'll just keep getting worse and worse and you'll slowly drown and instead people will call you lazy and you don't know how to tell them you're just stuck in this loop of not feeling like your work is good enough and it, you know, you're not lazy at all. You're overwhelmed with emotions that you need help processing, that every single one of us need help processing. Would you feel better if you worked with a music mentor who gave you regular feedback on how to improve? And yet then complimented you on the successes in their eyes? Like, would if you they, start to build? I would need a lot more compliments. It's like, that sounds like a like a music therapist or something. I, I, the last thing I need <clears throat> is for someone to come around. And it's, it's like I took a writing class and I wrote this really personal story and the class ripped it apart. And the teacher was like, this is disingenuous and doesn't feel like a real story. And we're supposed to tell a personal story and i was like i did tell a personal story and he's like yeah but you you added all this levity to it because it was about my dad dying oh my gosh and i was like yeah i was like because me and my brother found humor as a way to break through the sadness of losing our dad right it's like haven't you ever had anyone die before i'm guessing no he didn't so yeah but the the class themselves were like oh well this wouldn't happen and i'm like it did happen Wow. You know, like when my when my dad 
was um I mean of course I changed it in the story a little bit but it was basically um my brother went to the to meet with the um what's that the crema the, the crematorium person sure crematologist is that what they would be called I think so crematologist sounds like a porn star um Anyway, so, and she was like, and I don't know why, but in my brain, she has like a German accent and and she was, or like Austrian or something. And she was like, does your father have any plates in his head or a pacemaker? Hmm. And my brother's like, no, what does that matter? And she's like, because when we put him in the oven, if he does, he will explode. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And we thought that was the funniest thing that she said that <laughs> explode. Yeah, that is funny. So what are you doing? I just need to pull something out because I can't find it on my phone. Um, but how did you handle your classmates and your teacher's criticism of something that was a real life event for you? Oh, I was super frustrated and annoyed. And then I was just like, well, I guess my writing is not very good. So it, at any point in time, did it cross your mind that they just don't have the frame of reference to connect with you? Well, if I was a good enough writer, then they should have, it should have connected. So I find fault with that statement. I lovingly call bullshit. Because not everyone knows who Harry Potter is, but then they read the Harry Potter books and then they're like, oh, I know this character. But that had to be developed over time. One day, not today, but one day I'm going to be a really good data scientist. Right now, I'm not great at it. But, you know, I'm going to keep working at it and I'm going to figure it out. But I've been introduced to several concepts and several programming software programs um, that frustrate the hell out of me because I have zero frame of reference for them yet. So you just talked about an experience of a parent dying and this conversation with the crematorium personnel that no one else has a frame of reference for. So the frame of reference matters in uh, someone else's ability to connect with your work. I mean, Harry Potter was not a name that we understood, but she didn't start with Harry Potter. She started with the story about a little boy who lost his parents and was orphaned. So she built the understanding of Harry I know, Potter I, over time. But I built a story around this part of my story. I understand that. I'm just saying. It wasn't like I started the story with the crematorium story. No, I'm sure you didn't. But I, I just need to call attention to the fact that we, again, we have been inadvertently. No, we've been actually purposefully taught that our validation must come from other people. And because we've been taught that our validation must come from other people, we don't learn to self-validate. Now, everyone throws around the term self-soothing. You're supposed to self-soothe, self-soothe, let the baby cry it out, self-soothe. You know, teenagers are supposed to self-soothe, don't hover. But uh, it, I would say the same for adults. And I mean, you, I had the same challenge with you pre-diagnosis, post-diagnosis. Like, don't interfere too much, you know, because... Um, he needs to self-soothe through this process. It's like if you are dealing with something for the first time, 
then you don't automatically have those skills. I don't care what skill it is. And at the same time, we need to be more compassionate for these processes and less quick to judge things for what they are. You know, like when we talk about motivation, reasons, depleted motivation, um, and I, I found this list on Attitude Magazine, that's ADD, Attitude, about um, motivations for teens with ADHD, and I think this would apply to adults as well, and I uh, found similar stats for those with autism. But when asked why your uh, loved one opts out of schoolwork or activities, and I, this applies at the workplace, there's um, a list of reasons and the percentage of how often they occur. Can you these here yep i forgot which occurs well this is from the oh you want me to give the percentages yeah because i think you'll relate to these okay so 20.31 percent of the time i'm too tired 14.03 percent the teacher never told us about it 11.56 percent substitute in teacher boss spouse whatever you didn't tell me it's too hard 11.52 percent I didn't understand what the teacher wanted, 11.37%. I ran out of time. I'm too busy, 10.54%. What's the point? I'll never use this in life, 9.7%. I'll work harder, do better on the next one, 6.54%. And I'm already doing badly in this class, five. so 4.32%. Which one of those motivation um, triggers do you identify with? For what? Anything that you're struggling with to gain momentum for motivation, like whether it's cleaning or whether it's probably that I'm tired or that I don't, it's too hard. Okay. Okay. We, I'll be we, right there. we can hear you whispering. I'm trying. Okay. Let's wrap this up here. I will. You said. You're too tired. What was what? Or it's this, too hard. What would this list have been two years ago before all this medication change? I don't know. It's hard to get back in the mindset of where I was two years ago. Well, the things I heard the most were I never heard. I was accused of never telling you about it a lot, which is fine. It just what that what I learned to hear was that it's not that I didn't tell you it's that you probably didn't listen or you probably didn't hear me and I didn't get your attention through the myriad of thoughts that you had going on at the time. And I just made the assumption that you were always listening to me in the background. So, um, what'd you say? <laughs> just kidding. Okay. <laughs> right. That's my, yeah. So that's part of just learning the process. I forgot was a, a common one also I ran out of time I'm too busy is a common one because back then you were trying to do like if you had 41 impulses for the day you you were upset if you didn't get 30 of them done you had an excess of energy then you didn't really have you you couldn't sleep then so you know you were up for 20 hours a day often okay so I feel great now thank you for sharing that to everyone no I'm saying you've come a long way I mean the Neuroscientists always consider they the, every time you go and study neuroscience, one of the first things they tell you is that sleep is the most important thing you can do for yourself, and that sleep reduces inflammation on the brain. And the more inflammation you can do, reduce, especially on the brain, the better you can 
process everything and that your, your body will function. So, you know, we talked in the last episode how you're sleeping a lot and I praised you for it. You're welcome. No, it's good. Okay. So if sleeping as often as you need, I'd say hooray. And then I would just ask that if you find yourself silently suffering through this compare and despair that you'd speak up and tell me so we can have a conversation about it. Because I might not agree with how you're punishing yourself. How would you like to punish me, Rochelle? I don't want to punish you. Oh, okay. I'd like to lift I was opening that up for something naughty. <laughs> I would like to help lift the punishment. I would rather reinforce what I believe is good effort with praise. And if you don't give me the opportunity to have the conversation with you, I, I won't be able to share the praise. And when I randomly try and give you the praise, you've already told me you discount it because you don't believe it. So I'm begging you. I didn't say I didn't believe it. I just don't necessarily always agree with it. Okay, well, how much praise can I give you before you start believing it? I didn't say I don't believe it. I said I don't agree with it. Okay, how much praise can I give you before you start agreeing with it? Well, that doesn't make sense. Just because someone praises you doesn't mean you have to agree with it. Okay, but we've talked before about how ADHD has the opposite of rejection sensitivity, dysphoria, right? Which is the recognition sensitivity euphoria. Right. So by that logic and an ADHD individual, I should be able to give you recognition consistently enough and, and, and warranted, right? Not, not fake recognition, like allow me the opportunity to help build in your recognition, um, your, your inventory, like that's like, what am I trying to say? Like, help me, give me the opportunity to recognize you more often so that it can make a difference for you. So you can start receiving that euphoric benefit from it and maybe start agreeing with me or at least start feeling better. Okay. Can we just try? Yep, let's do it. Okay. Are we d- are we done for today? Sure. Okay. I don't have a news minute or a pop minute because we just did one of these. We did. So I'll have to work on that next week. Okay. You're looking at me weird. I'm just scanning my brain to see if I can come up with anything that I can fill in the time for. You've said plenty. Oh. (laughs) Okay. I'm Blake. And I'm Michelle. And we'll be back. Cue the music. The amazing, amazing music.